Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, this evening, um, for the past six weeks, we've been looking at the series um, Freedom. There are a few words in the English language that, that um, you can hardly go wrong with. You know, the, um, you hardly can get a negative glint with them. Yeah. And one of them is freedom. When you say, I'm free, yeah. I mean, it's, it's great. Yeah. And, and we've been looking at the freedom we have in Christ for the past six weeks, and it's been wonderful. I've been blessed so, so many times, so much from uh, the various messages we've had. And I believe that God has a beautiful package for us this evening. Amen. Amen. This evening we'll be looking at the law that sets me free. The law that sets me free. And um, to be sure that every one of us will live here with something, I, I would like us to just bend on our heads a bit and ask God to meet us at the point of our need. Just pray a bit. Um, Ask God to meet you at the point of your need. Ask God that the purpose for which he caused you to be here today will be accomplished. Also pray for me, and that I will open my mouth with wisdom, and pray that every one of us here will be blessed. Father, we are standing before you today. Our eyes are lifted to you. Meet us at the point of our need, Lord. Touch us again. Move us a notch higher. Draw us closer to you. And let none of us live here the same. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The series has been based on 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 to 18. Um, which uh, in the New Living Translation says, for forever the Spirit of the Lord, uh, so, sorry, says, um, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit. And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who are here, who have had that veil removed, can see and reflect the glory of the Lord and the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Verse 16, that first verse, the first verse 16, uh, there are three things that highlight. You know, the whole fo- focus is on our turning to God to have our veil, the veil, removed such, so that we can have freedom. And um, it's clear from verse 17 and verse 18 that the Lord is the Spirit. Last week, uh, Pastor Kevin gave us a message on that. And I think that's, that's perfect. But, but note that it says, whenever one turns, someone turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Whenever means that, that it's not just the once and only once and once for all things. It's a repetitive process. Now, um, there is a first turning to the law. There is a first one. And, and that's what we see in First Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 9. When Paul was talking about the Thessalonian church, and he records 
of their testimony of how they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, even Jesus, who says of my sins. That is the salvation turn, which every person that comes into this world must turn to enter into the kingdom of God. That's turning to God the Father, the living and true God, who, whose son Jesus saves us from our sins. But the term we're talking about, which is mentioned here, is the, what I call the sanctification term. Because we are turning to the Lord, the Spirit, who is the Spirit. And, and this, whereas the first one, you can see, said, how you turn to God, it was in the past tense. For those who have done, who taken that step, it's once done and done. It's in the past. But that whenever, this is a continuous, the current one here is continuous, it's repetitive. Each time anyone turns to the Lord, a part of that veil is removed. A part of the veil was removed the time we took the first turn. But that veil is not continuously. If it were, there would be no need for us to do the series. There would be no need for that. But we're doing the series because that veil still remains. And each time we encounter a new situation where the veil is saying something, we need to turn to the Lord so that the veil, the veil can be removed. Now, now you notice that he said in 1 Thessalonians 1, 9, how you turn to God from idols. Whenever you turn to the Lord, you turn away from something. In the first case, in the first salvation turn, you turn away from idols, whether the idol is self or money or anything. You turn away from idols. Now, but in this second case, the sanctification turn, we need to find out, so you're turning to the Lord. What are we turning away from? And to understand that, we we'll back up a bit in that same passage to verse 12. Um, and so if we read from verse 12 to verse 16, it says, Therefore, when uh, therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their hearts. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So it's clear from that passage that, that they are, the, Lord, the Lord was speaking through Paul and asking that they turn away from the teachings of Moses, from the old covenant, from the law. Now, now, now to us, it, 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 that, that may not seem, we may not appreciate how great or how, how what a huge step that was for them. The 21st century church more or less sees the Old Testament as a drag. We think it's outdated. We think it is not relevant to our times. We think it contains many of the laws which we think are just weird. But for them, at the time Paul was writing this, that was all the scripture they had. Yeah. You know when Paul wrote uh, to, send, uh, to, to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16 and said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. 
the man of God is strengthened and equipped. He was not talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He was not talking about the first, he was not talking about Corinthians, he was talking about the law. Talking about the Old Testament. What we these days seem to push aside. Now, the law at that time, for them, for the Jews, for the, and you know, the, the first century church was predominantly Jewish. So, for them, the law represented everything. It was a God-given revelation, guidelines for how they live their life. God revealed this to Moses so that they would know how they should live their lives to please him. You know, sometimes we think, people say, well, um, what we should turn away from is the ceremonial laws, the social laws. You know, you know, you know the ceremonial laws that talk about Passover, the circumcision, the social laws that, 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 that talk about um, forbidden relationships, and even tell you when you can meet with your wife, and, and so on and so forth, and, and what food to eat and what food not to eat. We say, okay, these ones need to put away. But then they think the moral law is acceptable. The law is everything. It's the moral, it's ceremonial, it's social. That is the law. And in fact, when we look, as we will look later on, at the passage that this referred to in, in Exodus 34, we'll find that the immediate thing that this referred to was actually the Ten Commandments. And that's the moral law. And, and we find that, that that's, that's what we think we can keep and throw the rest away. But either way, he says, turn away from it. So for the Jewish Christian coming out, and you see, if you read uh, the book of, of um, um, Galatians, which has come up so many times in, our, in, in this series, you, you will find that there was a, a running debate over circumcision. And talking about the law, in fact, that was what led to the first, the first council at Jerusalem, when they were saying, okay, you are born again, but you have to keep the laws of Moses so you can get saved. If not, you're born again, it's not enough. And so on and so forth. And so, for the Jewish Christian, the, the question was, okay, you're saying we should turn away from the law? Then to what should we turn? I mean, should we just live lawlessly? I mean, is that what God wants? And if not, then to what should we turn? And I know that there are some, there are Christians, some believers who believe that because we've been delivered from the curse of the law, we can go wherever we want, do whatever we want, however we want, whenever we want. And that's being lawless. But the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, when it says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, it now says, for what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? There is no partnership between light and darkness. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, it goes, it's more, it says, for sin is the breaking of the law because sin is lawlessness. So, so God cannot ask us to be lawless. The question now is, okay, then what law does God want us to go? If we are shedding this one that we have been so familiar with, that we have used, that has guided us all this while, and that law is the law of the Spirit that gives us life in Christ Jesus. Let's look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 2. Romans chapter 8 and verse 2. Um, I'd like us to read it from the, the new, new century version. 
Okay? Can, okay, I don't know if we can put that in New Century Version. But in New Century Version, um, it says, for the law, it says, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit that brings life made you free from the law that brings sin and death. The law of the Spirit that brings life has made you free from the law that brings sin and death. Now, now, now what is this law of the Spirit that brings life? There, there are many spiritual laws, a number of spiritual laws. For instance, the law of sowing and reaping, the spiritual law that started from the time of Noah. God instituted it then when he brought in the, the rainbow. And from then, it, 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 it transcends and cuts across every aspect fair of life, not just agriculture, even, even our finances. And as well in our spiritual lives, that's a, a spiritual law which God instituted. But that's not the law that, of the Spirit that gives us life. The law of the Spirit that gives us life is the law of faith. Because it says, the just shall live by faith. Over and over and over again, God keeps saying that. When Jesus came into the world um, and, and, and he tried to institute to us, point the people back to that, and introduce the principle of, according to your faith, let it be done to you. When our brother Charles and our pastor Brian preached, they spoke about the woman with the issue of blood. And in each of those instances, Jesus would say, your faith has made you well. So faith, Jesus introduced it as the new paradigm, as the thing that, that, that revolutionized everything else, and not the law. That was the law of faith. Even in our becoming Christians, Ephesians 2 verse 8, by grace you've been saved through faith. So we find that faith runs through and through the things which we have to do. And that's the law of faith. That's why uh, Apostle Paul in, Gal in Galatians 2 verse 19 to 20, he says, For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I, which I live, I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Question. Okay. So, through the law, we, he died to the law that we, he might live for God. And he now lives his life. So, the law of faith is not just important for becoming Christians. It's also important to living our Christian life. He lives by faith. What does it mean to live by faith? What does it mean to live by faith? You know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Jesus kept saying, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. When we hear with the spiritual ear what the Spirit of God is saying, and we respond and we obey, our life changes in response to what we have heard the Spirit say, then we are living by faith. And what that means, in essence, is being led by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit and not by convention. You know, it's, it's easy to go by convention. And that's the, the beauty of the law. The law is settled, is systematic, a system of rules. We know it. A convention, if there is any, just turn to that aspect of the law and you get what it says. 
and so on and so forth. Yes, it is very burdensome in so many details and all that. But if you can go through and find a particular one that suits you, you have it there. And if you come back tomorrow, you see it there. That's, it, it's return. We like it for that. But then, that's not all that there can be. And so we find that, that God will want us to move on to something else. Um, the, he, he, God talks about having, following the leading of the Spirit. Following the leading of the Spirit and not walking by convention. In Galatians, we have looked at Galatians chapter 5 several today. I'm going to look at it again. Galatians chapter 5, we'll see verse 6, we'll see verse 18 and verse 25. In verse 6, he says, For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself through love. Faith expressing itself. We know that love is the first and the major fruit of the spirit. Now, it is faith. How does faith work out? How does that apply? You're living by faith. It, it being led by the spirit. Faith expressing itself through love. In verse 16 it says, But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under the obligation to the law of Moses. Just think of that. When you are directed, when you are led by the Spirit, you are not under obligation. You are not under obligation. You are free from the law of Moses. Then he says in verse 25, Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit leading in every part of our lives. So if we need to summarize that concept, God's desire, God, the law that sets us free is the law of faith that is evidenced by our being led by the Spirit in every area of our lives. Now, now to understand practically how that comes, plays out in our lives, I'd like us to Go to Exodus 34, which is the passage from which we see our theme. Our, our theme, theme scripture, comes, relates to the, what happened in Exodus 34. And um, we'll take up the story in Exodus 34 from verse 29 and read it down to 30, 35. He's talking about what happened after Moses had gone up to the mountain to take, receive the commandments of the Lord and, and what happened afterwards. From 29, it says, Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with the Lord, with him. Then he says, And so when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come close to him. Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to them, and Moses talked with them. Afterwards, all the children of Israel came near, and he gave them as commandments all that the Lord had spoken with him at Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. Verse 34 says, But whenever, not that word again, whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And he would come out and speak to the children of Israel whatever he had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that um, the face of Moses shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went to speak 
with the Lord again. Alright, so we note a few things. You note the word repetitively whenever. Look at the word again, which points to the fact that it was not done once, it kept happening over and over. Now notice again that whenever, when Moses, whenever Moses had the veil on, what it showed was he had gotten some command from the Lord, which the children of Israel were to live by. He had gotten some command from the Lord, declared to the children of Israel, and were to live by them. Now, if Moses had the veil on for one week, it meant that the, the newest commandment he got from the Lord was one week old. Is that clear? Yeah. If he had the, the veil on, unremoved, for one month, six months, one year, it meant that that, that, that was co- corresponded to the, to the length to how old that revelation was. But whenever something happened, so whenever he had the veil on, it was an indication that he didn't need. He had enough from what he had gotten from the Lord to, for the children of Israel to live on. If the children of Israel, all the problems they had could be settled by what he had brought from the Lord, they were satisfied. So as long as the veil was on, the children of Israel had no need. Moses had no need to go and see the Lord. But when something arose, a situation arose that challenged what he had, he suddenly realized that what he had gotten from the Lord, even though it came from the Lord, was no more sufficient to be the end of the moment. He now realized that he needed fresh revelation. So taking the veil away was an indication, Lord, I need some more. That's what he cried. He said, Lord, I want some more. And when he turned on his way. In, in Exodus 33, that's verse, from verse 5 downwards to 9, we're told what usually happened when, when Moses went to go and see the Lord. That, that he set his tent out, called it the tent of tabernacle, tabernacle of meeting, and it was outside the camp. And whenever he turned to go to meet with the Lord there, the children of Israel would all come out from their tents and watch him as he turned to meet with the Lord. When he entered in, the cloud would come and overshadow the place, and all of them will bow and worship, knowing that he was communing with the Lord there. Now, whenever they saw Moses with an open face, with an unveiled face, turning to go towards the Lord, they said, wow, we need something new. Some revelation is going to come out. Something new is going to come out. And that was that. That was fine. Because what it meant was that whatever they needed, whatever new challenge that arose, could be met by what came from the sanctuary. Amen. If Moses were there all the time, there would be no problem. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 103, verse 7, it says that God showed his ways to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel. So the ways of God were clearly revealed to, to them, they could see. But Moses, being human, could not live forever. And Moses died. And so, they didn't have anyone who could speak with the Lord face to face, mouth to mouth, as a man speaks with his friend. And so they were left with just what he brought. The laws, the revelation, the commandments God gave him, but which he had. That's all they had. Before Moses left, Moses told them, your God will give you another prophet like me. And it is him you're going to listen to. And they kept waiting for him. They waited for one year, two years, hundred years, one thousand years, two thousand years before Jesus came actually some Jews are waiting till now because they don't believe Jesus came and they're still waiting for that prophet to come. If you remember the story of the woman, the, the Samaritan woman at the well when Jesus started talking with her and she said, I sent you a prophet I started asking about the position of the temple 
And Jesus said, well, actually, the, 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 the time has come when we will not worship in any temple. We will worship the Father in spirit and truth. You know what she said? The Messiah who is called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will tell us. Then what we will do? She said, my dear, stop waiting. The one talking to you is the one. Now, the fact is, we have Jesus in us. What does it make? Why, why should we then turn and keep turning back to something else, to, to some document, something which somebody received? Think of it. 2000, that was 2,000 years before Christ came. And, and that, Christ has been come and gone for 21st, 21 centuries now. Two, for for 2,000 years extra. What, why keep waiting? Why keep waiting when we have Jesus with us and we can ask him what we need? And so... The, the turning away, turning to the Lord, is an indication that we need the Lord to meet us at the point of our need. It's an indication that, Lord, the old revelation I got, yes, I got it from you, is no more sufficient to meet the need of the moment. I need something more. I don't know about you, but I always like to get all I can get from God. I don't like to just take the little and go away. You know, you know the woman, you know the, the elder brother to the prodigal son? Um, he didn't know he, he had that everything the father had belonged to him. And the prodigal, his younger brother, had taken and gone. And he was all the while waiting for a little kid, a little goat that he could make merry with his friends. Whereas everything was his own. Uh, uh, brother uh, James preached about um, says feasting um, in famine. But that, that boy, that man, that, that brother was actually fasting in plenty. And I don't want to do that. And you know, that's what we do when actually we have access to all of God. But we are satisfied with taking little, just carrying little thereabout. Now, now, the times that made Moses to go back to God was when a challenge came up. And challenges come up. Let's face it. We face the life throws a lot of things at us, which we cannot understand. And, and we struggle what we know of God doesn't seem to meet the need of the moment. Some people have left church because of that. They said the church doesn't meet our needs. It's outdated and they leave it. Whereas what they needed to do was to turn away and turn to the Lord. And they could. They couldn't do that and they left. Look at, let's look at some of the instances that happened at the time of, uh, of Moses and see how that applies to us. How we can learn from that. One instance we'll look at is uh, the story of the, the daughters of Zelophehad. The daughters of Zelophehad. Um, um, Zelophehad was special in Israel in that he, amongst his clan, had only daughters. He had no sons. In Numbers 27, we'll look at, look at Numbers 27 from verse 1 to 11 and read the story therein. Um, what we see there is that in chapter 26, God had commanded Moses to, to make, conduct a census of the children of Israel, of all the sons of Israel, which they would compile a list of people they would use for dividing the land. And they divided, they checked them from all those 20 years and above who were able to go to war. And they found 601,000 of them. But however, there was no record for, for Zelophehad. In chapter 33, chapter, that, that's um, Exodus number 26, verse 33, we see the record of Zelophehad. It was just in parenthesis. Zelophehad had no sons. And his daughters were, and they mentioned the five names of the daughters. 
in parenthesis, nothing about them, and they were skipped and passed by. You know, sometimes we feel that that same way. We are passed over. We are overlooked. It looks like the law, the present regulations, doesn't have any place for us. And we feel misunderstood. We feel that, that there is no recognition where we are. Actually, that was when the Beijing Declaration started, the Beijing Conference. We talk about 1995. It started 1995. It started far at the time of Zelothehad. Because what we saw happening, well, what happened actually was that a day came following this declaration and God gave the command to Moses and said, use this list to divide the land, to apportion the land to them. In other words, according to the command that God had given, the, the clan, the family of Zelophehad had been pushed aside. According to the command directed that God had given to Moses, the, command, the, the family of Zelophehad had been passed over. Now, now, now the, the daughters of Zelophehad could have just accepted it and said, well, that's our lot. It's not our fault. I don't know what to say. Well, hard luck and turn it away. And, and many times we, we've accepted such things and said, well, that's a pity and let's find something else to do. But then we're told that they came up one day and came before Moses, before Eliezer the priest, before the commandments, the, 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 the elders of Israel. And they said, our father served the Lord. Our father lived in this wilderness. Yes, he was not among those who rebelled against the Lord, against Moses. He was not in danger the company of Korah. But he died and had no sons. He said, why? Why should our father's name disappear from his clan because he has no sons? That was the question. Now, that question, simple as it was, challenged centuries-old tradition. How dare they speak? Who are you to speak? Now, now, think of this. Look at the scenario. The brothers, the other brothers of Zelophehad, who knew that because Zelophehad had been overlooked, they would have a little more land. And so, they will now see some, some women coming to talk. How dare you? Who, who are you to talk? Think of that. They want to shout them out and push them aside. But they got up and said something. And they now said, after putting the question, they said, um, why should our father's land give us, he now said, give us property among our father's relatives. Our place, we say, Aro. what we say is forbidden. How dare you talk? Who are you? You're a, a woman. A woman. How can we give you property? You're not qualified to receive that. But they said it. Now, I expected Moses to give them the classic customer service response. Have you, have you had that, that? When you go to, when you call them and complain and you tell them, they say, thank you very much for calling. Um, we understand how you feel. We feel your pain. But you know, and they tell you a long story of regulations and all that. And you tell them, yes. And then you explain and they say, thank you very much for calling. And then they still repeat the same thing again. He said, and you know the most painful thing they said, is there anything else you can do for you today? Well, you've done nothing for me. What do you mean, is there anything you can do for me? You've not done anything. Very frustrating. Moses could have told them, you see, my daughters, you see, I understand how you feel. Oh, it's so painful. You know, I know, but you know what you're asking is a difficult thing. It's not just me. From our forefather Abraham, this has been, you know, they could have said that to them. But thank God that Moses, yes, they call him Moses the lawgiver. But he knew there was a living lawgiver. He knew there was, the, 
all wise and creator of the human intellect. He knew there was a God who, and he had access to him. Church, we have access to God tonight. Do we know that? We have access to him. And so we should not let anything stop us. Even if God will say it, get to God. Let him, let's hear him say it. And so Moses told them in, in, in verse 5, Moses, so Moses brought their case before the Lord. Now think of this. Moses could have just said, well, I know what God has told me. I know, I know what he's going to say. But let me just go there to fulfill all righteousness. So you cannot say, I didn't go. He just went. But thank God. Verse 6 says, And the Lord said to him, What Zelophehad's daughters are saying is right. Oh God. It's right. You know what God did not say, what was not mentioned there is, you are wrong. But that was implied. Because the Zelophehad's daughters were right, actually, they were wrong. And then, he now said, um, you must certainly give them property as an inheritance among their father's relatives and give their father's inheritance to them. Say to the Israelites, if any man dies and does not leave any son, give his inheritance to his daughter. And he gave them a series of things. And, and now said, in verse, uh, the last verse, verse, verse 11, he says, this is to have the force of law for the Israelites as the Lord commanded Moses. Think of it. Five women. Five ordinary women. Nothing special about them. They changed the law. Because they dared to say, this situation hurts us. And I know that God will have something more for me. And even though, because of the covenant they were in, they didn't have access to God, they had access to someone who had access to God and said, please, ask God again. Church, we have access to God now. And we can go to God. We don't have to keep waiting, keep suffering under the burden of the law, under the burden of the situations that surround us. We can push in and say, Lord, what do you say? I know that they say this. I know that they say this. Jesus taught us. He said, you have heard that it was said by men of old. And he said, thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. But I say to you. And I'm looking forward, Lord, but what do you say? And that's what it means to turn away from the law and turn to God who is the Spirit and say, Lord, give me the message for the moment. Give me what meets my need right now. My time is off. But then I tell you, you know the story of, 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 of Jonah, of Job. Job was totally misunderstood by his friends. His friends, who were theologians, scholars, they sat him down and told him, shut up, man. Let It's because you are in... I thought you should know better than this. You are suffering because you have sinned. And he said, sorry. I know that's what we all believe. That's what we have all taught. But I know that I have not sinned. And he said, I know that my Redeemer lives. And whatever happens, I'm going to see him. My eyes, these ones, not another. He says, I don't understand what God is doing, but one thing I know, after he has tested me, I shall comfort as gold. That was a very strong, firm statement of fact. And the people talked, and after 30 chapters of here and there, and talking over and over, God came up and spoke. And you know what he said? He, of course, he opened himself to, to, to um, he revealed himself better to, to Job. Job said, I've been hearing of you with the hearing of my ears. Now my eyes see you, and I abhor myself, I repent in dust and ashes. But then notice, 
In the next thing he says, he now turned, God turned to Eliphaz, some of the, the friends of Job, and said, go, take some sacrifices and go to Job. Let him pray for you, because you have not spoken right things about me as he has. So what it meant, therefore, was the fact that the friends, in spite of, because they were holding on to the understanding, the archaic knowledge they had of God, and they were saying that same thing, and they were judging Job, they were actually wrong. Job, by faith, sensed that God had something else and stretched for it and said, God, I want that. Lord, I want that, and I'm going for that. It goes on even in time of ministry. In, in, in Acts chapter 10, a classic example happened when the Lord wanted to call, open the ministry to, to the Gentiles. And he wanted to do that through the, the apostle Peter. And, and, and he had revealed, God had revealed himself to Cornelius, and asked Cornelius, go and send for Peter. He will tell you what you must do. And then, but you know, the problem is, Peter, as a Jewish man, and a law-abiding Jewish man, could not go to the house of, of, of um, could not go to the house of, of Cornelius. And, and, and everyone knew that. But Cornelius, all the same, still went. Cornelius could have told God, but God, you know that he's a Jew. He will not agree to come. She could have said that. He didn't say it. And he said, let me go. He sent men to, to, to Peter. Now, now, what happened to Peter was very, very striking. Because Peter went to pray, and as he was praying, God showed him a, a, a sheet carrying, which had all sorts of forbidden food, food meat, animals. And, and he said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, no, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is unclean or common. And God said, what God has cleansed. Call no more unclean or common. That happened three times. And afterwards he was listening. And he was thinking, I said, God, what does this mean? I know all along I have lived by this principle. What are you telling me? What does this mean? Can this be from you? Is this the devil somewhere? And as he was thinking, God said, there are some men asking for you. Go with them. Follow them because I have sent them. Don't, don't doubt it. And, Moses, and, 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 and Peter went down and came down and met with them and went down with them to the house of Cornelius. And when he got there, he told Cornelius, you see, you know it is unlawful for a Jewish man to come to talk with a, a, a Gentile, to enter into the house of a Gentile, but God has shown me that every man everywhere who fears him is acceptable to him. How did God show him that? How did God cause the paradigm shift? Because God gave him a word and enabled him to turn away from the laws and the revelation that he had, the old revelation that he had, and turn to God. And God could do something else with him. I don't know where you are at now. Are you struggling with some age-old religious laws, religious understanding, convention, like the of Zilope had where? I don't know whether that, that's where you're struggling. I don't know whether you have been misunderstood by the church, misunderstood by other Christians because of a particular situation you're going through which is difficult to understand, like Job was. I don't know whether God is calling you into a new area of ministry and you're wondering, can this be God? This is not the way people do ministry. Is that what the Lord is doing? Well, the Lord is saying today, turn away from the Lord. Turn away from the convention and turn to the Lord who is the Spirit. So I can make you free indeed. He says, stand fast by the liberty I've given you. Don't go back to the law. I want to move you one notch 
closer, one notch higher, draw you nearer to myself. I don't know where you are. You know, you know what he says? I could go on and on. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, it says, Eyes have not seen, ears have not heard. It hasn't entered into the heart of my what God has prepared for those who love him. But he reveals it to us through the Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Church, God has deep things for you. I know you are here because you love God. God has deep things for you, so let him in. Receive it. Receive what God has for you. As I was preparing this message, I kept hearing this. Because you know, what God has for God has an adventure planned up. He has a, a, God made each of us an original. And we shouldn't die copies. God made us original. He has new things. Things that will appear different, strange to people. But that's what God wants to do. Amen. As I was preparing this, I, heard, I kept hearing this word. You know the words of the song, Come Away, by Jesus Culture? Which is saying, it says, come away with me. Come and me away with me. I have a plan for you. That's God speaking. He said, I have a plan for you. It's going to be great. It's going to be wild. But I assure you, it's going to be full of me. Amen. <laughs> and God has plans for you. I don't know where you are, but God has plans for you. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.thejunctionchurch.com. God bless.